around some. I was getting nervous with him behind me. If you've, been, if you've been around at Samas for any period of time, you'll know that we've been going through our kind of foundation stones. Uh, who are we as a church? What, thank you. Uh, what, a cup of tea. It'd be lovely, actually. Thank you. Um, what, who are we as church? What, what are our foundations? And you'll be aware uh, we've done worship, uh, Holy Spirit-centered, family, generationally joined. And this week is the last of the five foundation stones. Who can remember what it is? Very good, apostolic, apostolic church, apostolic community. What apostolic hub, what do we mean by that? Well, tonight, we're going to do it in a little bit of a different way. Um, Many of you here will know Paul. He's my dear friend. Uh, He's been in the city for some 120, 130 years, something like that. Um, Kind of real father in the city. uh, And I have the real joy of counting him, as many of you here, kind of as a friend. And uh, Paul's one of the team. He's an elder here on, on our team. But more than that, I've got to know Paul over the last few years um, in all sorts of contexts as a church leader, as a friend, as a fellow disciple. And um, we talk a lot. And when I say we talk a lot, Paul talks a lot. So we traveled to Sri Lanka. The first time we went to Sri Lanka um, was four years, five years ago, something like that. Um, And we knew we were supposed to travel together and went out to Sri Lanka. And uh, much of that time, I I shared a, a, a room uh, with Paul, which was fantastic, and, and in evenings, when, I mean, I am a night bird, but when it got to kind of having done a day of ministry and traveling and kind of in the real humidity and heat there, we started um, kind of getting ready to go to sleep, and, and just as I was about to go to sleep, Paul would say, so Tim, what do you dream of when you think about the future? This is when the light's just gone off. Oh, okay, Paul, light comes back on. Okay, what do you mean, Paul? And then Paul would ask me questions, and then Paul would start talking about absolute community and getting more and more wide-eyed and more and more excited. And the trouble was, I got quite excited. And we would talk for hours. We talked so much. And then in the morning, he would get up at like 5 o'clock and go for a run around in the hot. And he'd be like, do you want to come, Paul? No, this is the one time I get when it's quiet in the room. I'm going to stay in bed. Paul's a really dear friend. And we thought, because we do talk a lot and dream about what church might be, and we talk about the city along with other church leaders. We live in really exciting days, and Paul and I have been talking a lot about what is church, what is God doing in these days in church. And tonight is about apostolic church. That's a phrase which has been spoken about in lots and lots of places. So we thought it would be a good I thought it would be a good idea to do what we do often in coffee shops or in my lounge, sit and talk, but with like a hundred kind of flies on the wall. I'm not describing you all as flies, you understand. But you can listen in on this conversation because I always find it helpful as we talk about these things. I know Paul has a real passion to kind of share his heart. And so rather than doing your classic kind of preach, we thought we'd do it that way. Is that okay? You look absolutely traumatized, all of you. And there will then be a chance to have questions and your comments. So we're going to talk for about 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, and then just get you to ask some questions and things that maybe you've been spurred to think about or challenged or maybe you've already been thinking about them. Is that okay? This format is quite fun, actually. Last week, um, I was asked by a, a dear friend of ours, another fellow city leader, to um, interview him because he was doing a book launch at his church in Bath, and he, he thought um, I could interview him. So I kind of had to... And the book was on rest and finding Sabbath and finding rest in a busy lives. And the problem was I had to read this book before this interview. And as a nightmare, trying to find a space in your diary to read a book on rest. So... I kind of forced myself to take some rest and read this book under great stress. Actually, I found this book amazing. It was brilliant to be able to honor him and share this guy who'd written this book. Such amazing to find people in your community who are writing books like that. And so we did that, and it was lots of fun. And I don't know about you, but I find sometimes reading the Bible and thinking about those things quite tricky. So people who write books, it's very helpful, isn't it? And um, particularly books on the Bible, books like, um, I don't know, Hebrews or something like that. And the other day, I found this book... And I thought, it's published this year. And I thought, oh, it's got Paul. It's Paul Wakeley. That's the same name as the guy I know. And then I turned on the back, and there's a photo of Paul Wakeley. And so I thought that would be really embarrassing to, um, to do that, to tell everybody that you've just written a book, Paul. Yeah, it's got your name on it. <laughs> so this is a book on the book of Hebrews. Paul's now quite traumatized that I've just done that publicly. If you want to read a brilliant book on Hebrews, our dear friend here, Paul, has written a book. I have to confess, I haven't written it, read it yet because I only got it on sort of Friday. But book on Hebrews, if you're interested in Hebrews, our dear friend Paul has written a book on Hebrews. So, oh, that might have been a mistake. There's a wet book on Hebrews there if anyone wants to know about baptism in the Holy Spirit and being soaked and drenched. And uh, good, let's move on. I'm going to pray for us. 
Oh, Lord. Father, thank you for this community, that you're doing something new in our midst. And uh, Lord, we want to pray that as Paul and I reflect and think tonight and share, that you'd inspire all of us to hear your words of life for us as we think about what does it mean to be an apostolic people? What might an apostolic church community look like? And Lord, how do we become faithful in responding to your call to go, to be sent ones, to encourage one another, to build one another up, and to honor one another, to serve you in your great adventure and the plans that you have for us in these days? Lord, we long to play our part in being your faithful church, being part of your glorious church in this city. And so, Lord, help us in this journey, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Paul a question in a moment, but I'm going to read this verse, um, which is from Ephesians 4. And um, I was sent this, this, I know there's quite a few people away tonight on holiday, Peter and Victoria on holiday, and they sent, Victoria sent me this. <laughs> Thank you, James. Um, sent this version, the Passion Translation. I don't know how many of you have got a copy of the Passion Translation. It's really helpful to sometimes get some fresh, fresh translations to see text in, in kind of through fresh eyes. And so this is Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 from the Passion Translation. <clears throat> this is speaking of Jesus. He has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one into a perfect man with the full dimension of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. And then our immaturity will end. And we will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we'll remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one, and every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. So, Paul, when you've been around church leadership for, I know, for, for years and as a church kind of member, um, when you dream of church, <laughs> what, what do you dream of? What do you long for? I think there's two, um, two sides to the coin of this. Um, and, and my problem is I dream huge. And, and I guess most of you in the room dream huge. Like there are five or 6,000 followers of Jesus in this city right now. How about dreaming there are 10,000, which would be over a tithe of the city that could turn this city upside down in the way that happened in the book of Acts. So my dreaming kind of goes one place. But there are two sides to the coin. I, um, on the one hand, I love family. I really, don't you? Talk to me. I'm nervous. I love family. And so one of the Bible words for church is oikos, which means a household, like a really beautiful family of followers of Jesus all together, all that stuff, you know, just loving one another like crazy. I love that. But my dream, to answer your question, has sort of grown in these last few years because I guess for 20, I don't know, 25 years at least, my whole thinking about church was come. Come, 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 come to the family, which is absolutely right, you know, beautiful family. But in the last five or ten years, this whole other awareness has come that my dream of church is also this huge army spreading around everywhere, carrying the kingdom of heaven as ambassadors into every corner of society. Now, I, I didn't think that way for 25 years. I just thought, come to our church which, of course, is the best, because our church is always the best, isn't it? 
I'm like, that's why it's you know, our church. So my whole thinking was one way. The family of this was right, but I think the lack of anything beyond that was a, was a minimizing of what beats in God's heart. So this other word, which I know I'm being really, really impressive, called ecclesia, actually is all about a governmental people who change the whole of society. Now, I used to think there was a division between spiritual and secular. I used to think, you know what, this is the spiritual bit, and then people have to go and do some work to get the money to, you know, keep the church going. That's a terrible way of thinking. But I had a little line inside. It's like God's just bust the line open and said, the whole thing is my kingdom. This city belongs to the Lord. So my dream of church is actually that there'll be such familiness rooting us all, but at the same time, there'll be a kind of massive going into every corner of society where this whole city hears about Jesus, whether they're... I, is it Jonathan? I can't remember. Huh? James, sorry, James. Uh, you know, I, I know we kind of think, well, what's in a haircut? I just kind of buzz and thought, I bet that'll turn into endless conversations with guys who never know. And I think there's the kingdom of heaven coming in the most beautiful way. It just kind of goes everywhere. So, I mean, we've been around churches of all sorts, like many people here for many, many years. And I know there's, a, there's been a growing sense in us of being joined mm -hmm. along with others here. Mm -hmm. In order, when I was called here as vicar five years ago, the, the deal with God was, because number one, I had no aspirations or desire to, to be a vicar. That came as a bit of a shocker to me. I just love the people of God and I love the church. And so when God called me down here as vicar and, the, and I was asked to do it, I kind of knew, Lord, I know, you're gonna call, I know you're calling me to lead St. Matt's. I know you're calling me to serve St. Tom's and lead that church as well. But my heart is the church in this place, in the city. And we play our part in, in being that and growing that. I, I sense for us, there's been a growing, uh, and the deal with that, it, was, I, it would have been so easy just to come and plant another church and have a morning, com morning service and you know, have lots of children's groups and, and just do the normal things that church does. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but just do those and be another church and I kind of, right at the beginning, and the team who came, the very faithful team, Peter Victoria, Mark and Debbie, and Mary and Andrew, and they were kind of, I, think, I guess, about 12 of us, something like that. It's quite a good number, 12. I think it might have been about that sort of number. But those of us that came here, along with others who kind of felt compelled to come with us, our desire wasn't just, just to do another load of services, but ask the question, Lord, what does it mean not to do church, but to be church? And I guess, for maybe some of you who come, we're not normal in that actually all our energy, all our thoughts don't go into, right, it's about a, a one and a half hour slot on a Sunday we want to make brilliant. We're trying to imagine what church might be beyond that. So when we think of church and when we, it, it, that, that kind of feeling and the stuff you're talking about is growing out of a kind of dissatisfaction. I don't mean that in a critical way, but a sense of, Lord, there must be more than just doing services. There must be more than just being a lovely bunch of nice people who worship and, and sing great songs if we want to see this world turned upside down and this nation changed. And if I'm honest, the churches I've been part of and helping to lead, while seemingly really big and growing and successful, haven't really rocked the world in the way a bunch of guys and girls did 2,000 years ago with no structure. They seem to turn the whole of society upside down. So I guess the question for you and me is, is that just our growing dissatisfaction? It seems to me in the travels that we've been amongst the church leaders, even in, across the world in Sri Lanka and you've been to other places, is that a growing sense of the Holy Spirit provoking, challenging, saying these are the days for something new, for seeing the church and being the church in new ways? That's a very long question. That's a long question. Have we got any answers here? Um, everywhere we go, I hear prophetic words that God is doing something very new. And you can either put them on the shelf of typical prophecy, or you can say, God, please wake me up to what it is you're really doing. Because I suggest, um, Tim, I don't know how you, or how you guys feel, but it seems to me there's such a shaking going on of everything. Isn't there? Do you, do you get that? Like, like everything's shaking. Like all norms have sort of been shaken out of what we knew for decades. You mean like it, politics and yeah, nations? Yeah, politics, and society, values, nations. I mean, there are about five current nations who've had an election and they can't get any agreement, so the nation just goes into a paralysis. 
Anyway, forget that one. But do you understand? In our nation, there's a shaking, isn't there? And sort of family life, marriage, everything's up for grabs, isn't it? Do you, do you get that? Like, this isn't normal. I could be gloomy, or I could say, Lord, you are the king of the whole earth. What is it you are about to do that will be a more stunning answer because of the cry of helplessness in the earth? Because it seems it? that if you look through church history and global history, yeah. it's when things seem the darkest yes, that's true. that God seems to break in with his light. Yes. And that's all the way through the Old Testament. Yes. And when Jesus came through the history of revivals and challenges in the kind of 17th century and yes. even medieval prison, God seems to break in when, when, when the people cry out to yes. God. Do you think those are the days we're in? I, I, well, we were talking yesterday, weren't we? A few of us were talking yesterday. Martin, you were there, and, weren't you? And we were just chatting and saying, do, you know, do you think this nation is coming towards a great awakening of the Holy Spirit such as hasn't been seen for a very long time? What do you think? Look stunned. Like, I mean, like, I, I can't see any other alternative because it says, arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Gross darkness covers the earth. So they, they, they do seem to go, maybe historically, and now go hand in hand, that when darkness gets worse, I don't want to turn the news on more. I want to turn it down more so I can hear the sounds of what God wants to do more strongly than ever, because then we're kind of really bright and awake when the earth is shaking. And I, that sounds all very grand, but how about in this city? Like, what could happen to his church in this city at this time? I, you know. When I look at the church in uh, Revelation, it's described as a bride. Yeah. And it's described as radiant and glorious. And, um, and in, in, my, in my inner being, that's what I live for. I live to... I'm a bit of a one-trick pony. Okay, there's, the, uh, there's lots of things I can't do, but the thing that I long for more than anything is to see the church become all that it can be and all that it's supposed to be. And, and we're part of that. I can't change all the yeah. churches, buildings in the city, but I can kind of, my heart for us as God's people and to influence and to stand with other churches, you know, like Andy with his book launch, to stand alongside him and go, this is a great guy. We need to honor him yeah. and stand with him. I dream of those days. I long for those days. And the trouble is it makes you spoiled to just, it's so easy to get pulled back into, well, we'll just run some church services and we'll try and be nice. Actually, it feels like the, the risk, the cost is too great out there to just do another church service. So if the Holy Spirit is stirring us as God's people in the city, and it seems to be a call that's echoed in other places, and in the nation, and in the nations, it's interesting that those of us that have been to Sri Lanka, it's exactly the same heart. People are talking about the same thing, saying there's got to be more. We can't just do church services. We want to help shape society. That's the phrase paradigm shift, some of you will have heard that phrase, is often used. That paradigm is like a, a way of thinking. It feels like there's this paradigm shift where church leaders and churches are saying, how do we reimagine perhaps God's imagination and what it means to be church? And apostolicness, it's one of those words that people talk about a lot. We, we hear the word apostles in that, in that chapter, Ephesians 4, about apostles. What does it mean to be apostolic? What, what are apostles for? Do we still have them in this day? That would be a question some people might ask. And how might we become more that we're called to be? Why is he asking me? He's got the kind of head of the oh, microphone, hasn't he? I get the questions. Can, can I make a suggestion? A no, no, it's good. It would be good. Can I, can I make a suggestion? For years, because I got quite cheesed off at Ephesians 4 Ministries, I shut that chapter down because I found it too painful because I was fed up with, if you like, big figures striding around as the center of it all. And one day God really challenged me and said, I want you to repent of closing down some of my word just because you got bruised by it. How many of you know sometimes we can have a bruising experience and it shuts us down to the real experience God wanted? So I want to suggest to you that, I don't know, we've talked about this a lot, that those gifts in Ephesians 4, Apostle, Prophet, I mean, how many of you think they're still around? Wave at me if you think. Come on, let's have a vote. Don't be nice. If you think they're not, keep your hand down. How many of you think they're still alive, Apostles, Prophets? Okay. Some of you may not be sure. Some of you think, I'm not sure. I don't like all those, you know, big deal things. Apostle, Prophet, Pastor, well, they're still around. How can you have one, not the other? teacher evangelist. I don't know how many evangelists are 
cooking around in God's people, not yet really affirmed properly to go in the way they were called to go. So, so I guess I tease around with this thought of, listen, it's not actually about those gifts. The center of God's desire is what they actually do for God's people is the real deal. So, so I want to suggest, apost- ap- ap- what's the word? Apostolicness is about going rather than gathering. Okay? We gather for the family, but then we go like crazy with the call on us. I want to suggest to you that if Ephesians 4 gifts come back properly in how God intended them, the whole body of Christ will be equipped, trained, lifted up, confident, full of fire, and changing a city. So here's, here's a challenging question. For, no, you could turn to answer no, it. Yeah, no, I'm going to ask one first. So here's a challenging question then. If we're honest about churches over the last certainly 200 years, they've all been led pretty much by hmm. pastors or teachers or pastor teachers. So what do you, is that, what do you think of that? Is that wrong? Do you well, think, Paul? Do you think that was wrong? I, I hope I get paid afterwards. <laughs> it's good to be this, controversial. This, like, it's like, really I, good to be controversial, just, and then he has just, to answer. So I can only find the word pastor, listen carefully to me, once in the New Testament. I also can't find any real, I mean, think about it, challenge me, any real evidence that pastor was the, do you understand, the main head of a church who did all the plate juggling, would you juggle plates, whatever you juggle, <laughs> you know, juggling all the plates, um, doing all the jobs, and having a sort of sub-team who rushed around to make sure that things stayed together. I actually want to be honest here, the reason I've loved working with Tim is I find in his heart a passion for God's people to be released to be their best, not a man looking for a position that makes him the most significant one. I really honor that in this man because it's unusual to have someone who's so beautifully chasing God's people to be their best and not be the center. I want to suggest to you God's changing. This paradigm shift actually is, is actually he's shifting the whole way we thought about church. You know, the pastor, the sub-team, and then the sub-teams, and then the, you know, whatever other things you have, rotors, and finally all the guys who fill the poos and poos. <laughs> that was really yeah, unfortunate. I've been in that sort of uh, let's just erase well. that bit. Fill all the pews and somehow never get to fulfill why they're on the earth. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. But I believe the shift God's doing is, of course you want people who are pastoral, don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. I don't mean they shouldn't. But supposing there's a whole bunch of gifts teaming up together with a flow of evangelist and, you know, prophet and so on. Okay. And, and part of the challenge for that is that historically, church has been very kind of, um, you know, like business. You have your top dog, yeah, don't you? that's right. And, and, and within a church context, we feel like... Um, well, we're supposed to be nice, so let's put a pastor should be at the top because they'll be nice. Uh, and uh, we need pastors, and hopefully yeah, I'll have a pastoral absolutely. heart. But I think it seems in these days that it was the, the Ephesians 4 list was never supposed to be apostles, prophets, right. pastors, teachers, evangelists. It's about order. That yes. first you have apostles yes. and prophets and pastors and teachers. In the, in the running of church, and an apostle isn't a hierarchy kind of position, but it's the one who sets up the foundations. Yes. It's the one who establishes that on which the church will be built. And the, the, the apostle needs the prophets because the prophets hear the word of God and give a sense of direction and kind of adding to what the apostle is building. And then your pastors come into that environment and nurture the people of God so they can fulfill their calling and the teachers help equip them and the evangelists go, hey guys, don't forget there's a world out there dying. Mm-hmm. We need to be nurtured. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a flow of order, but it begins with the apostles. I guess one of the challenges, particularly in British culture, is that none of us like to, uh, we're always putting ourselves down. We find it hard to, hands up if you find it really easy to receive praise here. Anyone? Like anyone? One person? Yeah, anyone else? That's a healthy How about the Americans in the room? You're better at this stuff than us. No? I I mean, I I know English are very self-depreciating, and actually that's a, a sweet trait, and it's kind of humility. But true humility isn't thinking less of yourself it's thinking about yourself less and and I think sometimes we kind of put ourselves down so like when Paul was saying what he was saying to me I was thinking okay Paul do you have to do that now 
but actually, thank you for what you said. My heart is, I would never wear the I'm an apostle badge. And if you say, if you start identifying yourself as a self-apostle, then that's quite wrong. It seems to me that in the Bible, it's, well, St. Paul did it, to be fair, didn't he? Paul did say he recognized who he was and he owned who he was. But there's often a recognizing of other people's calling and giftings, isn't it? So we as leaders hopefully call out the prophets, and we see that on people, and we call it out, and we recognize it, and call it out the teachers and the, uh, and the pastors and things like that. And, and as apostles, I guess other people recognize and call out. So those titles, perhaps we struggle with, and, and we're all on a journey into discovering who we are and what we're called to. But I guess what we're saying is every single person in this room, if you have a pulse, then God has a purpose for you and a calling for you which is unique within the church and our job as family and our job as our leaders is to try and call that forth the word apostle means sent ones you kind of hinted at that but what might that look like for a group of people like this when we when we're reimagining because we have this big barn of a place that we're talking about giving over to the city and giving into god's plans what might it look like on sunday nights on monday mornings midweek for a bunch of people to try and live as an apostolic community, do you think? It's another question. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a question back to you. Oh, dear. Jesus so did that. Can, would you mind relaying the prophetic word you received in the back of a car decades ago? <laughs> the one about yeah. building, sure, that one. About changing that. So, okay. Thanks for that. This is a prophetic word that came to my mind just now that was given to Tim. I want you to listen to it. So, um, so I was, um, I was invited to go to a leaders gathering uh, with a bunch of really kind of bigwigs. And I was, I was literally driving the car yeah. for the person who was going. So I was, I did, it was one of those moments where I just thought, I don't want to be in this room. There are some really serious national leaders here. There were about a dozen of them. And I was hiding at the back, trying to keep my head down. And uh, there was a guy there called Dale Gentry, who was a prophet. I mean, a proper hardcore American prophet, American guy. And he was prophesying over some of these church leaders. I won't name them, but over some of them. And then he kind of, he looked through the crowd and he pointed at me and said, your name is Timothy. Uh, which I thought was not a bad start if you're a prophet. That was quite, that was... <laughs> Okay, that kind of got my attention, I guess, at that moment, because none of us had introduced ourselves, because they all knew each other, and I was hiding. Um, interestingly, the week before, I felt God speak to me. There were some really difficult circumstances going on in my life and my family, and God said to me late one night, it was one of those rare, rare, super rare occasions where I felt I heard the voice of God, and he said, I called you Timothy, yes. because uh, uh, in, in your family, you were, the, you were one who honors me. And I was kind of a bit amazed by this, and a couple of days later, Someone said, oh, your name's really interesting, isn't it? Your name's Timothy. It means one who honors God. And I was like, okay, that's really scary. So this happened a week later. This man picked out my name, said, your name is Timothy. And I was thinking on the back of this, God saying, I called you Timothy. It was quite significant. And then he said to me, um, your name is Timothy, and God has called you to plant churches. But you'll plant new models of church within old models. And the old models will resist, but you'll prevail. Which was kind of a bit of a... Uh, an amazing thing because I, I did want to church plant, but I puzzled over that thing, that word, because um, I was part of the new house church movement. I was within a, a new kind of, and I was thinking, I do want to church plant, but I didn't fully make sense. Mm. And then about four years after that, suddenly I got called out of this church and I ended up working in an Anglican church, and here I am church planting in within so that was an amazing word just say the phrase again i've called you to plant. called you to plant new models of church within old models um, and the old models will resist but you will prevail okay how long ago was that that would have been uh, about 2003 so here we are 2019 that's 16 years ago could you say what you dream this community could become in the biggest way you can express? I'm not interested in mega church. I'm not interested in wall-to-wall -wall people for the sake of filling services. You know, if I'm honest, I've been in church ministry for long enough to think on one level, humanly, that really appeals to have loads of people. 
but I'm done with that because I recognize that you can fill a room with people and everybody feels lost in it. No one really knows each other. No one knows quite why they're there. They might have a great time, but then they go home and they carry on their lives. I've got nothing wrong. I've got, there's not, I've got nothing against filling a room with people, but I would rather have 20 people who are passionate and on fire for Jesus and their lives are so turned upside down that when they go out into the workplace, they take that with them. I guess that's always been the heart of the church, but my dream for this church family here is that this place, this geographic place, becomes a place of training, inspiration, laughter, healing, hope, light, freedom, party, weeping, worship, that actually people can come and receive those things and that it, it is a well that people can drink at, but in order to go and change the world, in order to go back as doctors and teachers and plumbers and barbers and students and single mums on the school gate and kids in school and children and youth and young people, that in all the places that they're called to, in all the mountains that they're called to work and minister, they have something really resilient and strong with them and they have a message of hope that they can speak, but more importantly, they can minister out of power as well in those places because, not because they've heard a really good sermon on Sunday night and they're holding on to that all the way through to Friday, oh, and then they get back to Sunday and I'll get another one to get a top of it, but because they've, something has been invested in them that will not let go of them because they've met Jesus and they've met his Holy Spirit and they know from the Father that they're loved, so even when persecution comes, they stand strong and tall because I think we're in days when persecution probably will come and challenges will come. But actually, we're told we're going to persevere and prevail. And the church is supposed to be radiant and glorious and dynamic. And it's supposed to change the world. It's not some naff little bride hiding in the background in a dirty, shabby dress. It's glorious and radiant. But the bride is supposed to have army boots, I think. And we've been faffing about with dainty little ballet shoes for too long, which is maybe nice on a Sunday night, but doesn't really cut it on a Monday morning in the workplace. We're supposed to be the bride with boots going into the workplace. It's all right. <laughs> oh, so I forgot you were there. <laughs> no, it's just, can, I, can I make a suggestion? Because it would be good to have questions of it if you've got any. But if you listen, I, I want to listen to a heartbeat. Not a clever statement. Because a heartbeat kind of makes me want to go with it because it moves me to take my part in that heartbeat. So I want to suggest to you, not because I'm trying to big it up, but if a word comes, I want you to create a new model of church within an old framework. We could be sat in this place actually able to inherit the fullness of that. I want to suggest to you that already this church has some strong households of faith. You know, the family bit. I wonder whether the Holy Spirit is kind of urging, wooing, provoking, challenging us towards the going bit now, which will never negate family because we all need family, but kind of gets us on the move. I want to suggest to you that passivity and shame are killers to the real call on men and women to stand up and follow Jesus. Those two things need to be don't they? they need to be kind of exposed and banned. <laughs> Those two things, passivity and shame, a horrible kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let's, maybe next year even, it could be such an unearthing of more going. That's just what I wanted to come back to. You know, you asked about this building, and, and I, I'm, not, I'm not really interested in buildings. I don't, I don't really care about buildings because I keep saying that the, the church is the people of God. And yet, irritatingly, God has given us this vast building, um, which I can't, I, is mine because I'm vicar, but sadly I can't sell it. Um, I'm not allowed to. Well, I could do it, but I'd get into real trouble with the archbishop. Um, and then he would take the money, so no one wins there. So um, if I've got this big barn of a place in a city where, you know, 10 square foot, you can, buy, you can buy a garage just down the road to park your car. In fact, most cars won't even fit in the garage because it's too small. You can buy that garage. I think I saw it for £95,000. You know, that's the kind of ridiculous cost of a few square feet in Bath. We have the biggest worship space in the city after the Abbey. Um, and, and at the moment, it's, as you will have noticed, not massively warm. Um, and it's not particularly beautiful. And if you've been to the toilets, wow, 
Good luck. So, um, you know, we, we, I don't want to just make this place nice for us so that we can have a nicer Sunday night with nice heating and an even better PA system, a nice carpet, and it's nice. I don't think Jesus died so that we have a nice carpet and a nice PA system. I think he's given us this building so that we can lavishly, recklessly give it away to the city, so that we can invite people in who have got screwed up hearts and lives, and we can give them marriage help, that we can pray for those who are sick and struggling with mental health issues, who are full of fear, and we can have healing rooms, so that we can invite entrepreneurs and business people in who've got great ideas, but they're really lonely, and we can network with them with people like Martin who have started charities, and people in in the building here have got great financial wisdom that we can release them and see them inspired to go back into the world. I want to see the crypt downstairs, a place where people can sleep who haven't got houses at the moment, short term. We can wash their clothes and give them showers and give them decency. We can sit them down and help them write CVs so that they can begin to find their place in the world and we can build up their self-esteem. We want the cafe to be glorious and have the best free coffee in the city so that we can just, amen, so that we can just kind of welcome people in and give them what brilliant hospitality, not run a cafe and charge people for it, but just say, you know what, have a great coffee, be blessed, be warm, come and tell me, just share, because loneliness is endemic in our society, and many of you in this room are profoundly lonely, and that is not how it's supposed to be in the, in the family of Christ. We're not supposed to be limping through life. We're supposed to be able to lay down our lives with one another and rejoice with one another and weep with one another. And where the family of God is such a place of healing and hope that the world looks at it and says, my goodness, I see Jesus in you. It's not about buildings, but if somehow we can give this building over to God's kingdom purpose so that when people come here, they have an amazing time, they feel equipped, and we can run healing training sessions on how to witness and evangelize. We've got one coming up soon that Simon Gillibo is going to come and lead. We're going to send teams out into the city to go and share their faith and to be trained and equipped to do it in a really non-freaky, helpful kind of way where we, we set people and we train them how to use the prophetic, where we help people in areas of finance. We want this building to be used as a center in order that we go, not that we come and we stay and have a lovely time, but we go. And I suppose because that's all about the people and about God's heart for us. And as I say, loneliness is a massive area, and we are supposed to be able to speak into those areas, into areas of finance and debt that people are struggling with. We want to give it over, give over space to local organizations, people with faith and no faith, that this can become a home for them. And many of you in this room are called to church plant, and I want to see you go and church plant. You know, I'm getting old. But you're called to church plant, and I want to inspire you to go and plant in in schools and in homes and in cafes and in your workplace. And many of you are called to be pastors in those places, and many of you are called to be prophets in those places, and teachers and evangelists. And, you know, you might not have the title and the badge and be paid by a church, but you will go as an evangelist, and you will go as a prophet, and you will go as an apostle, and you'll build and pioneer and create. And our job is just to cheer you into that and support you and encourage you. Because we're called to see the kingdom of God come, and it's like an invasion of his kingdom into all those sort of places. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I think it's beautiful to hear the heartbeat. God is finished with individuals. He's after joined up teams of men and women who support one another, because the day of the individual's over. He wants his body back. I wonder if anybody's got a question here on any of this, or even a difficult question to see which of us can really be thrown off our chairs quickest. Has anybody got a question or or even an observation that this is a big topic, and I know we're stumbling around it, but it's, it's really profound what God wants to do amongst us. So does anybody have a question you want to shout? I can give you the microphone. You could preach. You could show you're an evangelist. and oh. As I'm a visitor, I can ask a question and run, can't I? Um, it's, it's so kind of just, a, it's kind of more clarification, maybe helpful. So I love the list that you've 
read out in Ephesians, apostle, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Um, I think sometimes we, and I'm talking generally here, we've kind of grown up inside the church and, and have located all those things, good and bad, within a church kind of context. And you were probably alluding to it at the very end there, Tim. For most of us, if we have our eyes set on that within the church, we are going to miss what we are. Um, I'm, I was going to give my age away. Then I'm getting older now. I'm probably in a better place to understand who I am at this more I was going to say advanced age, but let's not bilk it too much. Um, and it, for me, it doesn't look like it's within or without the church in a sense. It's not, that's not important. So, it's, so are you saying then that, and I'm looking over, here, over this side, there's a, a beautiful young swathe of people that actually it's the that you, your desire is to see people equipped to be, and it's almost the labels aren't all that helpful because I don't, I don't want to think of myself in no. a certain way. I just want to be it, if yeah. that makes sense. But in being it, you do need some sense of help to understand yeah. perhaps who you are. I think that. that's exactly right. That's exactly what I, I see. Really ask you a no, 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 that's just... really helpful. And I think that's exactly what I see, and that is. The desire is not to create a bunch of teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets to serve the church or, or, or be, you know, of course we are part of the church. And, and what we mean by that is serve the church, because when we think of that, we often mean a church service. That's not what this is about, you know, th that's a part of it, but it's about a generation, like I was speaking about last week, a generation becoming all that they can be in all of the places that they're called and as you say, labels aren't, you know, massively helpful to say, well, you're an apostle, you're a prophet, you're a prophet. Okay, that's up to God to kind of identify those graces that are put on us. And there are seasons, but I think there's a, and there's often a merging of some of those things. And of course, we also have to think about the list of gifts within Romans 12, where it talks about the motivational gifts. You know, some are encouragers, some have mercy gifts, some are teachers, some are prophetic. All of those sort of gifts that are called forth in you and the great thing about the body of Christ is that that's where we are called to help one another discover those gifts. And, and also the great news is it's never too late. So it's easy to think, well, you young generation, you know, you've got all the years ahead to grow into this and help shape it. But actually, I'd also say if you're in your 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, genuinely, if you're still breathing tonight and still awake, God has got more for you. And if you kind of get to retirement age or post-retirement age, God says, that's great. But kind of we don't retire in the kingdom. There's just a new phase of ministry and life that's going to look different and more exciting. So I think it's, it's our role, if we have a role as church leaders, is to help all of us become who we're called to be, to find our identity. And that does come with years and wisdom. And that's why last week when I talked about the joining of the generations, that's so key. I'm so thankful for kind of mums and dads like Paul and others in the church here who want to be there for you guys to cheer you into all that you're called to be, you younger guys, but also to stand with you and say, maybe you want to think about this because I've experienced this. It's your journey, but actually this might help you. And you'll help them by saying, yeah, come on, old man, keep going. We're going to do this together. We need each other because you will spur one another onto good tasks. We, we genuinely need each other and to become all that we're called to be. You know, when I was growing up in church life, you would talk to students who had a heart to serve God. And within church, particularly in kind of good church culture, you thought, if, if I'm going to serve God, that means I'm going to become a missionary or a church pastor or the worship leader. I'd quite like the worship leader because that looks the coolest. But, but, you know, that was kind of the deal. And actually, which I want to say to you, if you feel called to serve God, great. But it probably isn't going to be in any of those areas because there's a world out there that needs you as a pastor, as a prophet, as an evangelist, as a teacher with all your grace gifts, to call into those places. And my job is to say, how can we help you? How can we serve you? How can we encourage you? Paul. Any other question? Go, Libster. Hiya. Hello. Um, so, when you're talking about the, uh, like, a 
the small small church. Yeah. Um, and I love that like family feel. That's why I came to St. Matt's because it was just class. But um, if we're talking about like apostles and how we're going, um, yeah. you know, we're asking God to move, but we've actually got to move ourselves as well. Yeah. If we if we are going to be apostles and we're going out, surely more people will come in. So this place is going to be full. Yeah. So in terms of being a small church, that's going to yeah. be tricky for you. Yeah, well, I know. And that's where, that's where all these things kind of play off together. So for me, I, I love Christmas. Most of you know me know I love Christmas. One of the things I love about Christmas when I grew up is my family used to get together, often family that I didn't see all the time. And we'd all gather together, and it was always crazy, and we'd play silly games, and we'd sit around and sing, and Santa would come. Yeah, he did. And he would bring presents, and it was, it was a family celebration, and my mad aunt Nellie was always there in the corner dribbling and drinking sherry but it was great because she was family and she was mad and 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 but she was lovely and you need those big family celebrations and so yes this place I believe while serving all the small groups will become a place of celebration and I do and there have been prophetic words about it being filled with people but you know what I want to see it filled with I want to see it filled with new Christians not with Christians who have just changed church because they got a bit cheesed off with their church. And that's why when I planted this place, I had loads of people who came to me and said, when you've got children's work in your church, I'd love to come and join you. And at that moment, I said to them, oh, God bless you. Well, why don't you stay where you are? <laughs> and, you know, because actually, you know, it's, it's lovely. You might want to come and join us when we've got X and X and X sorted. But actually, I just want to see people saved. And then you do want to celebrate and gather together. So, yeah, I hear you, Libby. I want to honor you, Libby. I, on Thursday last week, you're going to squirm now because you're English, um, I was invited along with Mary Udell Smith to Libby's house because Libby is an evangelist amongst the many other giftings in the area of sport and she's been working with a load of girls. And how many girls were in your house? When I, I've never been so scared in my life. So she invited me to come and share. They wanted to see a vicar, apparently. Um, and they wanted someone who was a bit of a scientist. And I said, well, I'm not a scientist, but we'll get Mary because Mary's a physicist at Cambridge. She was really bright and she's a doctor. So Mary came along as well. I walked into her house expecting to have like, you know, a few girls who were going to ask questions. How many were in that room? 17. 17 girls. I've never been so scared in my life, really, seeing these girls. And they had incredibly brilliant questions about um, suffering and, you know, what, 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 what sin could I have committed that God would see as unfor unforgivable? And what about, you know, children in Africa? How does God talk about mercy and grace, and, 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 a, and a thousand other questions besides. It was brilliant, and I saw in this room with these girls packed sitting on the floor, having eaten together, this is church, right here, this is church happening. People looking for answers, searching for truth, wrestling with, is God really there? Does he really believe in me? I'm not sure I believe in him. Does he believe in me? You know, and, and it, was, it was magnificent, it was beautiful. And so, for me, that's what I dream of. Did that, does that need to happen here with me as an apostle there leading? No, of course not. Because you're called to do that. That's what you're set apart for. And your friendship and your, you know. And that's what we want to have. Space where people can explore and pioneer and feel free to do that. But it's kind of held in this structure of family. Um, and this place is a bit like the hub at the center of a wagon wheel that's spinning around and stuff's going out and being sent out where we've been sent to do what we're called to do. I didn't answer your question. I can't remember what your question was. Just oh, small groups and this place being filled. Yeah. It will be. Just, just this final thought, just in terms of apostolicness, because we're going to be resting around with it a bit. Keep thinking about just release to go. Release to go. But think about your going is the call to transform the culture of wherever you are. So changing culture is bringing heaven back on earth again. Think about it, wherever you are, whether you're a student, you know, whatever, teacher. But actually, and I realize it in my own life, I wish I'd seen it earlier in my journey, that actually the real calling on every one of us is to actually change the very culture in which he's planted you. Bring heaven back on earth again is a profound thing to be able to do just by being full of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, kindness, being reconciling. You're bringing heaven's culture into a torn-up, strife-ridden culture, maybe, whatever it is. All I could say to you is part of apostolicness is there must be a, how many in the room right now tonight? I don't know. 
How many here? I'm not very good at numbers. 100? Okay, look around the room for a minute. Just have a look around. See, every one of you in this room is unique, created in God's heart before he put the stars in the sky. And then he said, now I'd like to have you on the earth in this specific period of time. Why? Because that's the time I want to point you with all that I've made you to be to help bring heaven on earth where I choose you to be, whether your family, you know, your school, whatever it is. But I promise you the calling on you is more profound than you and I may realize. It is to bring a change in the culture of the city. Marco's a dear friend of mine. I went on to sing a song, but Marco's an incredible artist. It's just going to keep giving examples, you see. When he does his art stuff, which, by the way, is pretty difficult for creative people to feel that confidence, I know he brings a bit of heaven on earth through the art that he does, and I've seen it. Now, across 100 of us, 6,000 believers in the city, don't you think the culture of this city could be transformed by heaven invading what there is at the moment? It's an incredible picture. And if you can't imagine that, go and read about some of the revivals that have happened yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah. And you, you'll be spoiled yeah. for anything yeah, yeah. else. So in the Welsh revivals, when God's spirit hit that community, the, the Welsh pit ponies stopped working. Yeah. Because overnight, the miners were so overwhelmed with the holiness of God yeah. that they stopped swearing. And the pit ponies didn't know what to do anymore because they were used to being sworn at in order to go down the mines. And so they stopped... Because they, they, when, the, when, the, when the Welsh miners said, come on, pony, let's move, they were like, sorry, what does that mean? I'm used to you swearing at me in Welsh. Seriously, you can read about it historically. Yeah. Culture changed overnight. People broke down in the street outside chapels under the power of the Holy Spirit, mm. convicted that, that there was a father who loved them. When the Holy Spirit changes, a nation can change. Read, read about the Hebridean revivals. Read about the Indonesian revivals. It blows your mind and it makes you say, Lord, in our days, please, yes, we need right. to see you move through your that's people. Right. And the church becomes radiant and glorious and becomes a place of hope, a beacon, a light on a hill. Well, that's what we want this place to be, a light on a hill. So that's our prayers, that's our dreams, that's our longing. I hope tonight's been, well, it's been different. <laughs> I hope it's caused you to think about some of these things. We're, we're going to finish by sharing communion together, which just seemed like the right thing to do as family. Though we're many, we're one body because we all share in one bread. We come from different places, different church traditions, different backgrounds, different cultures, you know, um, but somehow we, we're united in Christ. And as we break bread, as we share this, this wine together, it's we're saying we're family, we're in this together. And if you're a visitor and you love the Lord, you just come and share, come and be. We're not religious about it. We're invited to his table to participate in what he's doing. And as you break that chunk of bitter bread or whatever it is that you're given, you know, you're receiving Christ and you're saying, I, I want to feed on you, Lord, so that I can be filled with you, so that I can go with you, sent from this place. And um, if you want to explore what it means to be part of us rather than just turning up at a service, then come and talk to us about that. We'd love to help you really know what it means to be part of the family and explore that together with us. Is that all right? <laughs>